The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of True Crime Society Podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is September 21st right now, and this is going to be our highly anticipated episode about the Delphi documents. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to come out a bit after, but, you know, it'll give us some time to, like, soak it all in and all think about it. (laughs) Um, It's been a, a crazy week, otherwise, with all of this and trying to Go through the massive amount of information. It was a very unexpected release. Yeah, it came out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> um, and it was... Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. But um, I did want to talk about quickly... I've been posting about um, a murder that happened where I grew up. And um, the daughter of the person who was murdered was um, one of my friends in high school. And you've probably seen me posting about it if you follow us on line but my friend her name is dorian her father was murdered on september 10th by her brother his name is jimmy her last name is cherry father's name is also james cherry but she gave me permission to talk about it she actually asked me to she wants to kind of like bring more awareness to it but basically um jimmy the brother i used to hang out he's hanging out with our friend group i always thought he was um kind of scary in the sense that he was like usually on drugs um i didn't really like talking to him that much he didn't talk that much like he wasn't he was just always kind of there i don't know but when a lot of people found out that this happened they were surprised in the sense of course you're surprised it's a murder but not really surprised that he was the one to do it yeah so i mean the press release says on september 10th the New York State Police respond to a failed domestic incident on River Road in Patterson. James Cherry, age 33, was arrested for murder in the second degree for bludgeoning for the bludgeoning of his father, James Cherry Jr., age 56. Um, and it basically just says he'll be arraigned in Patterson Court and the investigation remains ongoing. So there's not a lot of information out about it yet. It's still being investigated. But Dorian did tell me a little bit more. She said that basically... She doesn't really have, she's not like close with her mom. Her parents are divorced. Jimmy wanted to go to the dad's house, asked the mom to take him there. So the mom called the dad. was like, hey, can I bring him over? And the dad was like, no, I'm busy or whatever. For some reason, the mom does it anyways. Within seven minutes of her dropping him off, Jimmy was calling the mom, told the mom to call 911 because he beat the shit out of dad. Basically, she dropped him off and he beat the shit out of his dad, I guess. Um Crazy how just that decision has now changed all their lives. Like, yeah, he wasn't meant to go. She took him anyway. And And look what happened. So now Dorian's in the shitty position of her parents, I guess, weren't legally divorced, even though they've been separated for a very, very long time. So she basically is going to have to fight her mom on everything. And her mom is still supporting Jimmy even after the murder and basically still there defending him and like trying to protect him. So I'm sure that's disheartening Tough. for her. Yeah. yeah. So 
there's still not a ton of information out yet. Like she doesn't even know exactly what went down at the house. But if more comes out, I'll I'll post about it again. But it's a sad story. So and the new it's another one where I think we talked about it on like Patreon or something where I said the new stories aren't here. They just really want to smother the crime stories. Like that teacher that I talked about that I went to high school with, that story got pretty like suffocated. It was big news for like a day. Now you can't really find much about it. This, it was in the news for a day. Can't find much about it. <laughs> Just weird how some areas are like that. But yeah, what's been going on with you? Nothing. Pretty quiet week here. Um, yeah, I was just saying in our other episode that I've got spring break this next week for two weeks with the kids, so they're off school. We're not planning to do too much, just hang around, hopefully have some nice beach weather. Um, just nice to have a little break from routine for a few weeks. I feel like you guys, like for school, get off way more time than we do, but I don't know. Well, I think we do, but I also feel like we have a shorter summer. So we have four yeah. terms of 10 weeks each per term, and then they have three two-week breaks and then one six-week break. So they only get six weeks at summer. Yeah, I don't really know because I don't have kids, but we're basically off end of June till start of September. Here, the South is different, but. See, our big break's over Christmas because that's our summer. So my kids finish up kind of mid-December and then usually go back February. So Mm. yeah, I have nothing. I'm boring this week. Nothing, nothing at all going on. (laughs) No traveling and adventures? (laughs) Well, I was was saying we went to go away this weekend just for, you know, a few days just to get away. But then my daughter has her dancing national finals this weekend, which I didn't expect or know about. So no, we'll be at dancing this weekend instead. Bye. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, I think this is going to be a big big episode. So I guess we'll get into it. Um, Lots to talk about. So everyone probably who follows us anyways knows at this point that with um, the Delphi case, the murders of Liberty German and Abigail Williams, there was a huge document filed by the defense this week. It is like 136 pages, and it has some crazy accusations in it, um, a lot of new information, and potentially just like bad news for the case in the sense of are Libby and Abby are they ever going to get justice like does is this whole investigation screwed and they're asking for a Frank's hearing which basically is them saying that the police and prosecution well the police lied in order to get a search warrant for Richard Allen's house so to backtrack a little um obviously I'm not we're not going to give like a whole synopsis of the case most of us know the basic story anyways and we've done other episodes on it so if you want to go back and listen to those first and if you, you yeah should. if you just want to find them all in one place i've linked them on the blog for this so you can go and click and actually listen to all the episodes if you want before you listen to this one yeah but assuming most people know the gist it's a, a big case that a lot of people have followed but quick recap they went missing in Delphi, Indiana on February 13th, 2017, and they were found murdered the next day on February 14th in the woods. So then the more recent news has been the case basically like went cold until October 2022. October 26th, Richard Allen was arrested and charged with the girl's murders. Richard, he apparently confessed um, to his wife on the phone saying that he did do it, and there is... They found a bullet at the crime scene where the 
markings and striations on the bullet matched a gun that Richard Allen had. And some other timeline stuff that we'll get into. He did admit that he was on the trails that day to try to, in his mind, apparently help police because they were like, we want people to come forward who were like on the trails that day. But we'll get into all that because it is all part of this. It's a memo to the court that explains why the defense wants a hearing to have important evidence in the case thrown out. Last week, we explained Richard Allen's attorneys filed a motion to suppress evidence about a gun found inside Allen's home. Investigators say that gun matches markings on an unspent bullet found by the bodies of Abby Williams and Libby German, who were found murdered in Delphi back in 2017. Allen's attorneys claim the search warrant that the sheriff's department got for Allen's house was obtained illegally, and this document explains why. It says investigators had evidence that the teenagers were killed as part of a ritual sacrifice by people who believe in something called Odinism. The defense says the murder scene had telltale signs of Odinism, but investigators and the sheriff withheld those details from the judge when they asked to search Richard Allen's home. Allen's attorneys say investigators and the prosecutor had credible information that points to other possible suspects, but they dismissed those leads. The defense also says the sheriff concealed and fabricated statements from witnesses in his request for a search warrant. And the lawyers say there is a gaping hole when it comes to evidence linking Richard Allen to the murders. They say Richard Allen has zero connections to Odinism and has nothing to do with this crime. So this document was filed on September 18th, which, as of the time of recording, was just, what, three days ago? Yeah. Yeah. The document is 136 pages. So what we've done is we've kind of gone through it and summarized it in the order that it's presented. So there is a little bit of back and forth sometimes where you might be like, well, we've already spoken about that. But what they'll do is they'll jump and then go into more information in different sections. So we've tried to keep it as the document is presented if you're kind of wondering why in some parts it is like that. Yeah, so I suggest, and Evan's trying to say this online for the last couple of days, if this is a case you follow and you're interested in, I would definitely go read the documents. Like the news articles aren't doing this document any justice because I think it's just so much information. And it is a lot of accusations that probably the news might not feel comfortable talking about. So basically the sensationalized headline is just like viking murders sacrifice and ritualistic like, yeah yeah and people are like absolutely not that's fucking ridiculous but that has actually been a rumor for a long time like very early on in 2017 i there's chats of me and olivia and the other admins of our groups talking about this because it was talked about online and the people who are accused in this document like, I, we've seen all this already. So I think that's why when this came out, we weren't immediately like, absolutely not. Because like, we'd already heard a lot of this. And a lot of the rumors that were early on are turning out to be true or close. Like, we'd always heard that that the girls were maybe posed, that there was like symbols at the crime scene, which even back then we were like, hmm, that's a little like ridiculous. I don't know about that. But turns out it's was true Seems so to be true, yeah. we will get into that the document's broken down so like even if you don't want to read the whole thing if you just read the first part because that's kind of the summary of the whole thing and then it goes into like five different parts where it breaks down everything into very very specific details 
And one thing I don't think people get with this is like the defense isn't just saying this stuff. Like they have the evidence, they have the receipts, they are proving what they say. So it's not just them throwing shit out there. It's it, they they're backing it up. If anything, at least read the summary because that gives you all the details, but like with less details. <laughs> so, like Olivia said, we will go through it. Obviously, we're not going to go through every fucking thing because it is very long. But I think we'll all get the gist from this. Yeah. So the opening statement in the document is called "Members of a Pagan Norse Religion." called Odinism, hijacked by white nationalists, ritualistically sacrificed Abigail Williams and Liberty German. So the defense are alleging that early on in the investigation, investigators consulted with a Purdue professor considering Odinism was possibly connected to the scene, that there were signatures that were left there on the girls' bodies. And we're going to get into the scene in a bit because we finally have learned about the crime scene but there was a lot of signs and placing of sticks and markings that made it seem like it could have been a, a cult type thing or just something more than the average murder so they went to this purdue professor to get um, a professional opinion and the professor allegedly told the police that this was not odinism or any type of cult worshiping or any type of group that would have conducted this crime. So after that, they were just like, all right, good enough. And they totally abandoned looking into that. So one problem the defense brings up is that the police and the prosecution, they literally have absolutely no record of who this professor was, which seems pretty important. <laughs> no notes on the name, nothing, never mentioned. So the defense, obviously, they would want to talk to this person and be like, so like, did this happen? Did you really say uh, no? Like, what's what's the deal? They'd want to talk to him. They tried to figure out who it was. They went to Purdue themselves. Were like, who could this cult expert professor be? Came up with nothing. So at this point, it's like, does this guy even exist? And it seems like a pretty big flaw for them to just not even have this guy's name. So like I said, once this professor expert said no, they were just like, all right, good enough. We We won't even bother looking into that. But so a lot of the information in this document comes from there's three law enforcement officers named Kevin Murphy, Greg Ferency, and Todd Click. And they continued to kind of investigate the Odinism theory on their own because they felt like it shouldn't just be about it. Yeah, like it shouldn't just be not looked into at this point. Um, so a lot of the information in this comes from the inf like their investigation that they did basically on their own. So then after they conducted their research and interviews, they brought their findings to the investigative leadership on the case in February 2018. But again, the suspects that they brought up and were named were never properly looked into. So we'll get into all their information as well. In May 2023, former Rushville assistant police officer, police chief Todd Click, he's one of the ones I just mentioned, he's retired since this has all gone on. He actually got his own attorney and wrote a letter to prosecutor Nick McClelland when the affidavit came out against Richard Allen because he feared that the Odinist information hadn't been shared with the prosecution and that he was concerned that the information and in the Richard Allen affidavit was not as compelling at all as the information that they found before his retirement. It's interesting that it's literally other police officers being like, wait, 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 like this investigation's getting fucked up. Like someone please help. 
Yeah, it's just, yeah, such a mess. But I feel like that even gives it more credit. It's like, these are other police officers turning mm-hmm. on other police officers, which I'm sure can't be easy for them. And that shows how strongly they feel about it. Yeah. So Click, he also attached with that letter a statement, a statement that said, the Behavior Analysis Unit, the BAU of the FBI, determined that the individuals responsible for the homicides were involved in Nordic beliefs. So early on in the investigation, the FBI got involved. And clearly the FBI made a statement that they think that whoever did this believed in some sort of Nordic beliefs. So coming from the FBI, you would who they asked to help them with this, you'd think they would want to look into that. But I guess not. So it's alleged that the prosecutor had that letter for months before he even passed down to the defense. And it was only passed on to the defense after it became clear that the defense was going to speak with Todd Click anyways and that he would find out about the letter regardless. So it seems like they were kind of hoping that, like, you know, they wouldn't talk to Todd Click or any of those people and maybe this Odinism information wouldn't come out and the defense would focus on something else. McClelland, his excuse was that the McClelland's the prosecutor. He said it was overlooked in the massive amount of discovery, but the defense believes that it was purposefully not given to them. That's it. It seems to be the excuse for a lot of things in this document too, is that things weren't looked into just to, due to the amount of tips and information that they received. So, yeah. And I've always said this was a massive investigation. Like I remember people were calling in tips like crazy, just ridiculous stuff, just stuff that didn't need to be called in. And I've always thought that was a big problem. But again, it's literally your job to go through this and figure it out and deal with it. So being like, look, also it's not like they arrested someone two weeks after the murders. It was five years or have many years. So yeah, you had had five years to go through time in between to really go through and thoroughly investigate everything. And it still didn't happen. And even the, um, the note about Richard Allen being on the trails that day wasn't even found for years later because it got misfiled somewhere. And then like someone else ended up finding it last year and that's how he got arrested basically Mm -hmm. so it just seems like this whole thing has been a mess but um this is a quote from the document talking about that it says click was so determined to ensure his information was consumed by mcclellan that he directed the information directly to mcclellan via certified mail letter stamped received may 1st 2023 carroll county prosecutor click's report landed at ground zero the prosecutor's office with no more than two full-time prosecutors and a handful of full-time staff members at best. Could this exculpatory evidence have been completely overlooked? Not plausible. Um, I said, not only did the prosecution withhold that letter from the defense, but law enforcement also withheld several other exculpatory pieces of evidence, including an 85-page compilation of reports by Click prepared in 2019 and several videos containing statements that support the defense theory of Richard Allen's innocence. This 85-page report detailed the investigative work performed by Click, Ferency, Murphy, and others, including the FBI. It says no member of the Unified Command. They say Unified Command, which I think is just kind of like the group of people who were investigating this because it was all different. It was like ISP, Carroll County. It says no member of the Unified Command in charge of the investigation revealed this information to the defense during recent depositions. This includes Trooper Holman who told the defense that he didn't remember if the FBI's BAU unit determined one way or the other whether those with Nordic beliefs had been involved in the murders. At least up until the time of this filing, the prosecution has provided no evidence whatsoever of the findings of the FBI's BAU unit concerning involvement of Odinists in the murders, none. 
The letter that Click sent to McClellan was the first that the defense heard that the FBI was actually that the FBI actually believed that Odinists were linked and were likely involved. In other words, this report contained exculpatory evidence that unified command concealed from the defense. This information was and is crucial for Richard Allen's defense. Some of this exculpatory evidence is in the form of videos. It was finally released to the defense on September 8th, 2023, over nine months after defense counsel entered their appearance. So very shady, it seems. Another part of the document just clarifies, says Richard Allen has no connection to any pagan cults and that there's no forensic evidence, including DNA evidence linking him to the crime scene. It also alleges that Odinists are employed as corrections officers for the Indiana Department of Corrections at Westville Correctional Facility, which is where Richard is incarcerated. The document goes into some detail about Odinism, which we'll just touch on because it's really not that important to the grand scheme of things. The whole document will link on our blog, too, if you want to read the whole thing, which I suggest. So basically, Odinites are obsessed with Viking and Nordic culture. Runes were apparently left at the crime scene. They're formed with sticks and tree branches and painted with Libby's blood on a tree. Sticks and tree branches were placed on each girl, apparently mimicking runes. So runes are just kind of like symbols. The document discusses a Delphi local called Brad Holder. So Brad, like I said, was on our radar back in 2017. We had already heard of that, already heard of him, seen a lot of this stuff. But yeah, it's crazy because not only is the defense like saying that the prosecution and police have kind of been trying to keep all this part under wraps for some reason, they're just like naming names. They're being like, actually, these guys should be your suspects. And here is why. (laughs) In the days and weeks after the murders, Brad posted social media images that mimicked what was found at the crime scene. The crime scene imagery had never been made public to this day. So it's kind of like, what are the chances? Because he clearly wouldn't know what the crime scene looked like. So just seems kind of random. So I've put all of the images. We've screenshotted them all on the blog. They've all got the dates on there too. So you can kind of see when they were posted in relation to the murders. So for example, um, there's some a post from 31st of December 2015 where he posts that he's made himself a new set of deer antler runes. February 2016, he posts some kind of random sticks. One almost looks like it's a bit of a SWAT sticker type situation. I don't know if it is, but that's what it looks like to me. But they're kind of these random sticks that have been placed in positions. Mm-hmm. Um, he posted a few knives, like um, which if we'll go into detail about the girls and how they were found, but we do believe their throats were cut. So some knives, but yeah, if you want to check them out, they're all on the blog, but he did post a lot about um, things that could possibly be connected to the crime scene when we find out about it. It's also just weird stuff. It's, I mean, no offense to any Odinists or Vikingists or whatever that are listening. I, I doubt there's many because before this, I'd never heard of this before. <laughs> they all life. seem to be in Delphi. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, so he just posts a lot of weird stuff. Even, I mean, as of yesterday, I was looking and he hasn't deleted like any of it. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> um, he kind of seems like a, a jerk. Hopefully he doesn't sue us like he's threatening to sue everyone. But it says, I just had a look, it says they reckon there's 20,000 Odinists worldwide. So it's not a large community when you think about how many but somehow there's like at least five in this area. <laughs> um, but yeah, he posted just a lot of weird stuff and he posted way more heavily about Odinist stuff and like 
2015, 16, 17 than he does now. But it was almost like every an obsessive thing back then. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So I'm sure you're like, okay, but how is this guy connected to the girls? Like, is there any connection? Did he just randomly pick them? Well, Brad's son, Logan, had actually been dating Abby before the murders. Um, I put dating in quotes now that you can see because so many, there's people are like, I never heard like Abby had a boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. I think it was more like they're how old? 13 Talking. years old, 14 years old. He was 18, I think, though, I've read. Yeah, but apparently he mm. was older, but still. Yeah. I think it was more just um, having a crush. And I saw they had never even actually really hung out in person. They maybe hung once. out once, but it yeah. was more of a, a texting type thing. And I know Abby's mother was fairly strict, so it's not like they were a typical boyfriend-girlfriend like you'd be thinking. And I have also seen that he's referred to as her ex-boyfriend. So they were dating at some point before the murders, but I have also read that they maybe weren't, you know, quotes dating at the time that they died but anyway that that just it's just to say how brad may have been aware of the two girls yeah and they were um there is a picture of them together of abby and logan together that we can post even with all of this brad was originally cleared as a suspect on march 16th 2017 one month after the murders so that was quick yeah very comprehensive investigation <laughs> Brad posted other disturbing images on social media. One showed what appears to be... This one is gone, though. I mean, I haven't found it. I haven't even seen screenshots of it. But I feel like I do remember it vaguely when we talked about the stuff. Yeah. And there is something that you sent in the chat that you were like, oh, my God, what the fuck? And it was his Facebook. But when I click it, it just goes to his Facebook. So, like, the post is gone. Hmm. So maybe it could have been that. But he posted this other image, and it depicts what appears to be two dead woman on the ground in a forest both the women's bodies had tree branches and sticks on them one woman had her arm above her head which was apparently how libby had been found so that's basically like describing the crime scene which we now know about and interesting that he hasn't deleted a ton of stuff but that's gone mm. the document infers that there is a correlation between brad and at least four other suspects named elvis fields from Rushville, Patrick Westfall from Delphi, Johnny Messer from Rushville, and Rod Abrams from Rushville. This, I'm always like, this part's crazy, but like, it's all crazy. Elvis apparently told his sister that he was involved in the murders and he gave her details about the crime scene and said that he was now part of a gang. So obviously, back then, the crime scene wasn't known about. We didn't know anything. Of course, there are rumors, but. Only people who were there would have known about it, really. Elvis was questioned by the police in 2018, and after police were finished speaking to him, he turned around and asked the state trooper, like, if his spit was found on the girls and he could explain it away, would he still get in trouble? Like, what? Media red flag. And this is written in the police report. It's not, like, people coming from memories. Like, it's literally written in the police report from when it happened. And the police officer, again... It was actually, it was one of the three guys who did the further investigating, told this to the the higher up people, and they didn't really do much with that information. Um, Elvison also told a second sister named Joyce that he was on the trail in the bridge with two girls and that he'd be going away for a long time. She, this is, one of the sisters did talk to the police and told them all of this, and she even took a polygraph test 
to say that she was telling the truth about Elvis telling her this stuff and she passed it. One thing I do find a kind of interesting in these documents is they do go into Elvis a lot and it does seem like the things that he said are very incriminating, but they only very quickly mention that Elvis may be intellectually disabled, that he does have the mental capacity of a seven or eight-year-old. I feel like they um, don't touch on that a lot. They they. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just wanted to yeah. add it in there, kind of as both sides of the argument that apparently Elvis has that mental capacity. So maybe that will impact what he's been saying. Um, but also, it's maybe. just weird how he's talking about stuff that seems like it could be related. Yeah, and he he does clearly know Brad and hang out with Brad. So maybe he is saying stuff that he just heard from Brad or something. But it's it like he still too- is connected to these people. <laughs> That he kind of idolized Brad. Like, yeah. we'll go into things that he did that kind of impersonated and mimicked Brad. But yeah, so he did definitely seemingly look up to Brad. Yeah. Um, next guy, Patrick Westfall, he was very close friends with Brad Holder, and their friendship strangely ended abruptly in February 2017, which, of course, is the month of the murders. Brad allegedly told his ex wife, Amber, that he and Westfall were in the woods near a river conducting a ritual. One of them said or did something that the other didn't agree with, and now they no longer talk to each other. So that's weird. In 2019, Brad changed his story to Amber and actually said that Patrick was the murderer, and he said that Patrick and his people had killed Abby and Libby because one of their mothers was, quote, mixing with people outside of the mother's race. So it's also just kind of a, a weird thing to throw out there. Hmm. Brad also said to Amber, I can only protect you so much if you keep asking questions. And he told Amber that Patrick had powerful friends. It's just crazy. I'm like, I I can't believe it still. Johnny Messer, he's another one. He was apparently a recruiter for the Odinites. (laughs) What does that even mean? Johnny's ex-girlfriend, Taylor Hornaday, she told police that Johnny and Brad were like brothers She told police that she let Johnny borrow her car around Valentine's Day 2017, which again is when the girls went missing or murdered, and that Johnny went to hang out with his friends. And I think that they specifically say like his, they use a different word, but it's another word that is um, the same meaning as Odinus, like his Viking friends. Um, And when he returned the car to Taylor, it had dried blood all over one side of it. He wouldn't tell Taylor how the blood got on the car, and she said that it took several times to actually wash the blood off of her car. I feel like that should be something that is easy enough to prove, obviously, providing the car still exists. But, you know, surely if there was that much blood on it, like they say it was covered in blood, it probably would have somehow got into the interior. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like that should be something that could be looked into more. Yeah. Also, it's been like years at this point. (laughs) But I was like, girl, like, why'd you wash it off? Like, do you go to the police? Be like, can you just, like, test this? But also, he could have been like, I don't know, I hit a deer. The document then goes into details about the Odinist correctional officers. They're named as Sergeant Robinson and Sergeant Jones. They both apparently wore patches that said, in Odin, we trust on their uniforms. They also had, um, like, rune imagery and pictures of altars on their social media that look kind of similar to the stuff that brad was posting the two officers have said to be near richard during every conversation that he was having with his attorney and wife and the defense say that richard was worried the officers would overhear private conversations 
So in part one of the documents, once we get out of the summary, it goes into detail about the crime scene. This is around page 28. And just as a warning, some of the details are graphic and they're children. So just be warned. This is the information about the crime scene. It says Libby and Abby were missing for approximately 22 hours before their bodies were found. Libby was found at the base of a tree with four branches placed in a pattern on her naked body. She was flat on her back with her left arm above her head. Her hands were covered in blood. Blood spots and drips were found all over her body. Libby's right arm was along her body. One tree branch was on her left shoulder. It was a large branch that extended past her body. Two smaller branches formed a V where her legs near where her genitals would be, like the V part. And the last branch went across her body from her right shoulder to her left shoulder. So it's always been rumored that the girls died from having their throat cuts and that this seems to confirm that. It says that her sliced neck was partially covered by the fourth branch. In one of our older episodes, we did talk about how I think we'd got their death certificates and it does say they died by exsanguination. I think I'm saying it right, which is basically bleeding out. So that, yeah, it all ties together. Um, I know describing how the sticks are sounds very confusing because it's just hard to picture. Mm. But there, someone did make a picture of it, and we can post this too. Basically, there's a big V on Libby going from her genital area and one side of the V on each shoulder. And then there's a really, really big branch that goes from her head kind of across her body and one branch straight across her shoulders. And then she her, she has one arm holding onto a tree. Um, so it appears that Libby was killed at a nearby tree and then dragged in position to where she was found. Abby was found a few feet away from Libby. Her body was placed at an angle to Libby. So basically, Abby's feet were almost touching Libby, and then her head's like further away. So they're kind of also almost in like a V shape. So Abby was found fully clothed. She was wearing Libby's sweatshirt and jeans. And it's believed that Abby was naked when she was murdered and the killers reclothed her. She was also found wearing two bras. So an interesting part is that no blood was found on Abby's body except for at her neck wound. No blood was really found on the clothes except for a little bit like where the neck wound actually was. Um, Abby had tree branches on her. Also, the pattern of the branches on her looked like an asterisk. She had smaller sticks placed over her hair that looked like horns or antlers. And we already mentioned antlers like it seems to be a thing in the Odinist community. Um, And it said that some of the branches had been cut by an instrument and not broken by hand, which indicates some sort of pre-planning in this. The document says that the defense gave the court 12 crime scene and autopsy pics as evidence. A symbol that looked like an F was painted on a tree in Libby's blood, and it was four feet up from the base of the tree. And this is, that's the tree that Libby, they believe Libby was killed at because that's where her blood was found mostly, right? Yeah. But she, her body was posed near a different tree. So police also found Libby's shoe and her cell phone under Abby's body. A bullet was also found in the dirt between them. And the defense have said that the defense have said they've been provided with no evidence about this alleged bullet, which is a big part of the case against Richard Allen. 
Um, they also said the bullet, of course, wasn't photographed properly. Like there are some photos of it, but not of it in the ground or of them taking it out of the ground or anything like that. So, of course, that could be an issue. Look, so we, we did have a lot of questions, I guess, from people who don't, who are maybe new to the case or, you know, have forgotten why Richard was kind of arrested in the first place. I had another look at the affidavit this morning and a lot of it is based on the bullet. Like the bullet apparently does match a gun that he had plus the sightings, which we'll get into later. There's not a whole, like in, in this document, they've said they've got no DNA connecting him to the scene. The main things to me seem to be the bullet and the sightings. Um, yeah, they originally re-found him because they were going back through old case files and found a statement that he gave to an officer like outside of CVS. Like I guess the police were like around and were like, asking people who were in the area to like talk to them. So he went up to the police officer on his own and told him, he was like, oh, I was at the trails that day. And police officer there like wrote it down. It was like, maybe someone should interview him. And then no one ever did. And for five years or however long that didn't happen until they found and it Richard again. did also Richard also did apparently confess I think multiple times after his arrest um but we'll go into what the defense have to say about that too yeah no I was just saying that's how they like originally even came across him mm. so the rest of the girls clothes and stuff a bunch of it was thrown into the creek as well Abby was wearing some of the clothes and then everything else was thrown in the creek I'm not sure if it was to destroy evidence or what, but they also made the point about how since Abby's clothes didn't have blood on them, that she clearly wasn't wearing the clothes when her throat was cut or when she bled out because, I mean, she died from bleeding out. So where did that blood go? The document then goes into detail for dozens of pages about why it's unlikely that Richard could be the perpetrator. The defense present 92 points about what it would have taken for him to do this alone. Some of the points are, he's only 5'4". They bring this up a lot about how short he is. That he would have had to be solely responsible for controlling Abby and Libby. He would have had to get them to cross a cold river that was 3.5 feet deep. Um, he would have had to manage to get the two girls to undress before killing the first girl with a knife. Um, and because of the scene was found staged, he would have then had to wait for Abby to die a slow death the Report literally says she died a slow death. Um, there's not really any context to what slow means, but she basically just bled out. So they would have had to wait for her to bleed out before redressing and positioning the girls. I was chatting online in our Facebook group about this kind of points, those kind of points with some some of the members. And some of them were saying, you know, he could have had a gun, which I absolutely think is likely. If he is responsible, he would have had a gun. But it just does seem like a lot for a smaller man to control these two girls, you know, by himself and to then be able to murder them both with a knife. Like I guess, you know, there's all obviously he could have tied them up and different things. But I, f I felt like this part of the document was especially compelling. Like it was – yeah. raised a lot of doubt in my mind that he would have been able to do this by himself. Yeah, I would definitely go back and read this part because it was really interesting. It, like we said, it's 92 points. Some of it is like obvious, but, you know, they're the and defense. And some of it's ridiculous every as point. well. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying every point is valid, but they did raise some interesting things to think about. But even just how difficult it would be to redress Abby in these clothes, put on two bras, put on Libby's pants, like putting on pants on a dead body with like, no assistance, like shimmying them up and putting a sweatshirt, putting a shirt on her, putting a sweatshirt on her and all of this in the middle of the day 
when you're short for time and just murder people like it seems like you wouldn't really want to be lingering around and doing all of this for that long and also waiting for abby to bleed out and i yeah. did think it was interesting they said that libby's blood was found by the f tree but like they never talk about where abby's blood was that i don't know if that means they didn't she- find it on the ground they were saying that maybe they could have hung her upside down like in some of the pictures on brad holder's facebook to help the bleeding out happen faster from her neck but they they didn't really say that where her blood went so it's very a lot of weirdness right so from page 46 onwards the document goes into a lot of detail about how the odinites could be connected to the murders the document compares how the girls were found at the crime scene to Odinist images. There's one image where a man has been sliced in the back and he had been posed similarly to how Abby was found. Another image shows a man wearing antlers, which is also similar to Abby. So the report that was compiled by Todd Click and the other law enforcement officers that we spoke about earlier is known as the Odin Report. It's 85 pages and the defence alleges that they weren't given this document until September 8th, 2023, so literally a week and a bit ago. We've already discussed some of the content from that report. Amber Holder, who's Brad's ex-wife, seems to have provided a lot of the info for it. And this is kind of where I mean we kind of go back and forth because we've already spoken about it, but this it also comes up again in the document now. On page 57, we learned that Amber was told by Brad to stay away from Patrick Westfall or that she would end up dead. Brad also told her that Patrick and his crew were responsible for Libby and Abby's murders as well as a fire that killed the two go- that killed two girls, as in two additional girls. Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was that fire in Flora in Indiana where I think four girls died. So she did mm-hmm. ask him if it was that one, and I, I believe it. he said no, it wasn't that. So it was an additional fire apparently. Um, Amber said that Patrick and his crew had no issue with taking out race traders, which is basically when white people mix with other races. The defense also alleged that Brad Holder got a tattoo of a rune on his hand and that he posted it on his social media. And this is apparently the same rune that was laid on Libby's body after her death. So we also learn that someone sent in a tip on February 16th, 2017, just days after the girls were murdered. The tip said, quote, father of Logan Holder, ex-boyfriend of Libby, which I think is an error. It should be Abby. Um, Social media shows him a member of Vinlanders, posts of half-dead women and fascination with gothic features and symbols out of tree branches, end quote. So interesting, you know, two days after they were found, someone is already sending in those tips. Vinlanders was the word I was looking yeah. for before because he was like, he was going to hang out with some Vinlander friends or something. One of the guys. So February 17, 2017, again, just a few days after the murders, Brad posted a good a Goodfellas meme on Facebook. The gist of the meme is that real friends will help you move bodies and keep your their mouth shut. It said your real ones don't judge you or ask a bunch of questions. They help you move the body and never speak of it again. At Patrick Westfall. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it um, seems like, though. Yeah. Brad made a social media post at 2 a.m. on February 14th, 12 hours after the girl went missing. girls went missing. He said he was at the gym as, quote, his energy and testosterone is through the roof right now. So he later deleted that post, which is interesting. I remember seeing that one. Brad's alibi for the time of the murders was him being at work. He apparently worked for, like, a landfill trash company and drove machinery, The defense argue in the documents that his alibi wasn't properly vetted. 
he apparently clocked in at 4.55 a.m. and then clocked out at 2.45 p.m. on February 13, which is the day of the murders. Police were given a timesheet showing that Brad had worked as the main support of his alibi. The defence raised questions in the document about if he was actually the one to clock out. Someone else could have clocked out. They also say that he could have still made it to the modern high bridge by the time he left work, even if he did leave at 2.45. So basically it's they're saying it's not really an alibi at all. The document then goes into detail about Elvis Field's fascination with Brad. Elvis made four different social media posts all recreating posts that Brad had made. Elvis also apparently told one sister that Abby was a troublemaker and that's why he used sticks to form horns on her head. So Trooper Kevin Murphy has described Elvis as having the mental capacity of maybe a seven or eight-year-old. So, you know, just wanted to reiterate that again. But it's like, how would he have known that there was horns on her head? Yeah. Like, so he knew that somehow, whether it was from Brad and them or... Yeah, it's interesting. And even like, I know he may have the mental capacity of an eight-year-old, but I feel like a lot of eight-year-olds would still understand that part of it. You know, there would be other Mm -hmm. things that he would have trouble reasoning with, but I feel like that all of this could still be absolutely recalled by someone with that capacity. Yeah, and someone with an average mental capacity would probably assume not to ask the police officers, but what if my spit is on them, Mm -hmm. but I had a good reason for it? That just kind of just shows that he doesn't have the mental capacity he should. Because especially if you are a bad even if you're not like why are you going to say that to the police and even if even if this turns out that Brad Holder and all that are involved why would you have someone like Elvis go along with you who doesn't understand that you need to keep it quiet that's a lot of bad decisions but they've if it is if it does turn out that this is true they've gotten away with it for this long I guess yeah um on page 82 the defense outlined an interview between Brad and the police Brad told police that he visited Delphi every weekend to hang out with his friend Patrick Westfall. Brad said that Logan and Abby had only met one time as they went to different schools and he said that Logan would communicate with Abby via phone. He said that he and Patrick started a tribe of Asatru, I think is how you say it, followers. Asatru is apparently a warrior religion popular with members of the military. Brad has said that they would hold a meeting every Sunday at Patrick's house and that they had five or six regular attendees. When he was asked by the police in this interview where he was on the day of the murders, he said he was at work in Buffalo, Indiana, until he clocked out between 2 and 4 p.m. and then he went to the gym. The document goes into another tip that came in on April 14th, 2017, which was two months after the murders. The tipster said that Brad had attended the funeral for Libby and Abby and he wore glasses then, even though he didn't wear glasses at any other time. In a, sorry, a post in a Facebook group was also made early on saying that Brad was responsible for the murders. The tip was called into police and the content of the post was summarised as Holder is a pagan, murdered the girls as sacrifices and left an F on the victim's body. Holden's son, Logan, is Abigail's ex-boyfriend. So now we know, you know, the F is apparently true, you know, not on the bodies but on the tree. You know, some of that has turned out to be true and that tip was made just months after the murders. Mm-hmm. So Mary Jacobs, who's Elvis's sister, is also referencing the document. She said that she actually went to Delphi a few weeks after he made the statements and talked to police about what he said. Police have said, quote, due to the mass amount of tips that were generated, her information may have been overlooked. So Mary has a friend named Misty Moore who worked for Homeland Security. When nothing had been done with Mary's information about Elvis by December 2018, she contacted Misty to ask for help. 
The document goes into detail then about what Elvis told another sister, Joyce. He told her, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm going away for a long time. I was on the trail on that bridge with those girls when they were murdered. There were two other people there with me when it happened. I spit on one of the girls. So that's, you know, we've spoken about how he asked the police about the spit DNA. Mm-hmm. So Rod Abrams is another one of Brad's friends. He was interviewed on August 29th, 2018. He was asked where he was on the day of the murders and he said that he was with Elvis and Ned Smith in Muncie, Indiana, visiting a sick friend in the hospital. So he was able to remember that off the bat 562 days later. (laughs) Um, Rod was told that law enforcement would check phone records to make sure that he was actually at the hospital when he said. And Rod said that hospitals cut cell reception on phones because they interfere with hospital equipment. So their phones would probably not show they were at the hospital. (laughs) When they did look at Elvis's phone records, they saw that his phone had actually stayed in Rushville on February 13 from 10.30 until 7.30. This was apparently unusual as Elvis reportedly always had his phone on him. And Rod did tell police that Elvis did have his phone on him while they were allegedly at this hospital. So that goes against that story. Patrick was interviewed by police once following the murders on February 19, 2017. By March 2, 2017, he was eliminated as a suspect. So on page 103 of the document, we learn that Elvis had been communicating with a 12-year-old girl online and had been saying inappropriate things to her. I found this kind of especially interesting due to the maybe connection with Keegan Klein and the girls. Um, you know, that Keegan yeah. Klein is, I don't think, mentioned once in this document, but it's just an interesting tie-in based on his child pornography um, conviction. Seems like a lot of fucked up people in the area. If, you, if you're not sure who Keegan Klein is, if you haven't listened to our episode, basically he had an online persona called Anthony Schotts and that Anthony Schotts was found to have been communicating, I think it was with Libby, in the days before she died. So, um, yeah, he was like there was always kind of rumours or, you know, uh, scenarios where he maybe catfished one or both of the girls to get them to the bridge. I think that could be a possibility. He was telling like other teens after the murders as Anthony Schatz being like, that's so crazy. Like I was supposed to meet up with her that day or something. So Elvis also communicated via Facebook with girls aged 13, 14, 15. I guess they put that in because that's the age that Libby and Abby were. Mm -hmm. So part three of the document goes into, sorry, I'm just making it bigger, um, concealed and falsified evidence in the case. It's alleged that Sheriff Tony Liggett concealed and made up information to suit the narrative regarding Richard Allen. So Sheriff Liggett worked with a witness named Betsy Blair. This is where a lot of the affidavit for Richard, like the arrest affidavit, this was all in there. Um, And I guess a main reason why he was arrested. So he worked with a witness named Betsy Blair who saw a man on the bridge that day. The document alleges that the man she saw looked nothing like Richard Allen and that the vehicle she had observed was nothing like the car that Richard was driving. Betsy met with Sheriff Liggett again in 2019 and she was frustrated because the sketch which had been released to the public did not match the sketch that she had seen, like the man that she'd seen at all. This is an actual quote from the document. It says, Betsy Blair's first description of the man she saw on the bridge was memorialised in sketch two and that was done on February 17th, three days after the girls were found and it wasn't released to the public until April 22nd, 2019. Crazy. She told the sketch artist that the man she saw was white, aged 20, and had brown curly hair. So all of, like, obviously white fits Richard's description, but at 20 and brown curly hair essentially doesn't. But the sketch thing, like, has always confused me. How mm. they were, like, they had the one sketch, which I still don't exactly remember where the, the first original sketch came from. And then in 2019, they're like, no, forget that one. Use this one. And that... The second one is the one they say to focus on now. And that one was made three days after by 
Betsy, who literally saw the person. I feel like the first sketch came from the footage of Libby's. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's what it was. Down the hill, guy that she fo- that she photographed on the bridge, but then Betsy is saying, "No, no, I saw this other person." Like obviously, the down the hill guy is involved in this case based on Libby recording him, but maybe this other sketch is just someone else who was there. It's all a big mess. As we continue to follow the investigation into the murders of two Delphi girls, a stunning revelation today. There has been a lot of back and forth about the two sketches released, supposedly showing the killer. Cossacks Investigates Chief Rafael Sanchez can explain the new details for today and why this change in course is so startling, Rafael. Uh, Mark and Amanda, good evening. Let's start with the obvious. Both sketches are not of the same person. There remains one prime suspect and one fewer person of interest. This is moving video of the prime suspect wanted for the deaths of Abby Williams and Libby German. It was recorded by Libby on the day of their disappearance. Current technology unable to zoom in on that video to get his facial features. So law enforcement developed this sketch. And for the past two years, the picture of a man in his 40s to 50s went global. Now it's being officially dropped. The image no longer valid. The new sketch released on Monday is who state police say is the target of their investigation after reassessing their information. This is the person the task force believes was on the Monon High Bridge on February the 13th, 2017 and encountered Abby and Libby and said these words. Investigators say while the new sketch shows someone with a youthful appearance that he could be someone in his 20s through late 30s. So that is now the official picture of the prime target suspect in this case. Uh, police are asking people to stop using the old sketch on social media and in general and to definitely not put them side by side since this picture here is the only suspect in this case. The defense also say that the police allege Betsy saw Richard's Ford Focus parked near the trail on the day of the murders. The new document says that Betsy identified the car as not black, which I believe that Richard's car was black, and that car resembled a 1965 Ford Comet that her father had once owned. So if you look at the two cars, we've, I'll put some pictures on the blog, they look nothing the same. Literally could not be more opposite cars. <laughs> one is like a little round little commuter petite car. The other one is one of those old, like classic, very long rectangular cars. Could not look more different. So Richard did not deny being on the trail of the day of the murders though. He told investigators that he had left the trail at around 1.30 p.m. The defense alleged that his car was not seen when the prosecution say it was, meaning that he had likely left the trail by the time of the murders. Another witness mentioned is Sarah Carbow. The affidavit for Richard's arrest says, an interview was done of Sarah Carbow in 2017. She states that she was traveling east and observed a male subject walking west um, on the north side of 300 North away from Monon High Bridge. She stated that he was wearing a blue colored jacket and blue jeans and was muddy and bloody. She further stated that it appeared he had gotten in a fight. Investigators determined that the video that she was in that area at 357. 
So the new document refutes that and it says the problem is in 2017, Sarah Carbow told Liggett to his face that the man she observed was wearing a tan coloured coat, a lighter coloured coat, not a blue jacket. So the man on the bridge videoed by Libby was wearing a blue jacket. Um, They go into a lot of detail in the document how Sarah actually apparently only used the word muddy. She never said that the person she saw was bloody, but the police have said muddy and bloody. So the defence are kind of refuting that. Part. Four of the document goes into more details about the Odinites in the Westville Correctional Facility. It talks a lot about patches that were apparently worn by the guards. There are some photos of the patches. I'll put them on the blog, which I, if, if this was true, I can't believe they were allowed to put this on their <laughs> uniform. It's very one's, like gang Yeah. One says, I hate people, which that one is especially the one I'd be like, what is going on? Another one says, in Odin we trust. And there's another one that looks like it's got a flag with some other... I don't, I don't know what the symbolism is. It's like means. three triangles. triangles, which is yep. an Odinism symbol, apparently. So the defense insinuate that Richard's mental health began to decline after constantly being monitored by Sergeant Jones and Sergeant Robinson. The document outlines some of Richard's behavior. It says during one memorable visit on May 4th, 2023, it says that the attorneys met with Richard to discuss matters at this case. Richard was in a mental and physical state of deterioration. It was nearly non-communicative. During the visit, Richard Allen asked whether or not his wife was okay and if his family was okay. He claimed on a couple of occasions that they were going to kill him. And when they asked who was they, he said the guys with the Odin patches. The document goes into how basically any time Richard would have a visitor or make a phone call, these two sergeants would apparently be right nearby. Um, And it got to a point where Richard was apparently too worried to say anything because they would be listening. Um, It says they were even like filming the conversations. Like, is that even, is that allowed? (laughs) I, I feel know. it's not because you're supposed to be able to have like these private conversations with your attorney, but how are they just like getting a video camera and setting it up? And apparently they would even make sure like Richard was facing them so they could see his mouth just in case they like couldn't hear. Um, so it's crazy. But the document says up to this point in the legal process, Richard Allen's defense team had never mentioned Odinites or Odinism to Richard Allen either or indirectly. So basically that the only way he could have known about it is from them and their patches. It was... The first mention was on a visit on August 25th, 2023, when his wife, Kathy, attended, and there was a discussion between the attorney and client regarding ties to the crime scene. This is from the document, basically about how they're positioning him and like never letting him be able to have private conversations. I think this is what we insinuated, but the defense blatantly says it. It says, Richard would therefore not be able to privately discuss anything with his attorneys, such as, quote, the guards are telling me that my wife and my family will be killed unless I call my wife and tell her that I killed those girls. So they're insinuating that they that's why he made those confessions. It. Yeah. And that's why they're just like always keeping an eye on him to make sure he wasn't like, they told me to say that. So Sergeant Robinson is also said to have made social media posts featuring runes, horns, and antlers, which are all the things that were apparently found at the crime scene. The two sergeants stopped wearing their Odin patches quite abruptly. This is from the document that says, beginning at least on April 3rd, 2023, they wore their Odin patches when the defense team visited Richard Allen. However, they stopped wearing them on August 17, 2023. And then it goes into why the defense believed that happened. It says it was not until August 10th that the deposition of Trooper Jerry Holm and the Richard Allen's defense team so that basically it goes in that they're getting this document. Um, they basically revealed that they were going to be looking into the Odinite, Odinism yeah. angles and all that. So, And then suddenly after that, these guys who had been wearing the patches since April, now in August, 
all of a sudden they're gone. It says it was almost it was almost as if someone had alerted Odenite Robinson that the gig was up because the lawyers knew about the links. So lose the patch and that hope no one had ever noticed the patches. <laughs> but they did. <laughs> so the final part of the document is part five. And I feel like this, if it's true, like we're obviously just going off what the defense is saying, but I feel like this is wild if it's true. It says, Tony Liggett has testified under oath that there is no DNA linking Richard Allard to the crime scene. We've always been told it's kind of been vague about the DNA. Like they kind of insinuated that they may have had DNA, but they haven't ever said definitively that they had, but this document says they don't. Um, it says Liggett further has testified that he's unaware of anything that links Richard to the crime scene through his phone, computers, or electronics, and that there is no evidence that Richard has any affiliation with a weird religious cult group. So Jerry Holman also testified there is no DNA, no data extracted from Richard's phone connects him to the murders. There is no evidence that Richard is or was connected to any other suspects in the case. No social media evidence, which I feel like they've put that in because there's a lot of social media evidence kind of against Brad. No evidence extracted from his computers and there is no fingerprint evidence. So the last kind of points that the defence making the document is about seven items that apparently link Richard to the crimes and why they're kind of invalid and flimsy and can be debunked. One reason is that Richard was on the trail between 1.30 and 3.30 apparently. I'm sure other people were too, but that's kind of a main point for him. He does own a blue coat, which so does the guy on the bridge. He does own guns and the bullet, they kind of leave that out, which is interesting <laughs> that the bullet <laughs> apparently matches his gun, but it just says Richard owns guns, Richard owns knives. Um, then it goes into Liggett's claim while, while withholding key evidence that a black Ford Focus was parked between 1.30 and 4. Liggett's claim while withholding key evidence that Betsy Blair observed a man on a bridge that Liggett claimed was Richard Allen. And then Liggett's claim while withholding key evidence that Sarah Carbow observed a man walking down the road that Liggett claims was Richard Allen, and also the same man that Betsy Blair viewed on the high bridge. So those last points, five, six, and seven, basically the defense have essentially debunked in their document, if it's true, that leaves those four points. He was on the trail at the time. He has a blue coat, he has a gun, and he has a knife. So, But the defense also brought up the point that, I don't know if it was when he first, Richard Allen first talked to the police about it, when he he went out of his way to go talk to them, which I also think is interesting. He said that he thought he left around 1.30, so that also wouldn't fit in their timeline. No. Obviously, that might just be like his memory being wrong, but he originally said that he was there around 1, 1.30. He thinks he left around 1.30, which would have been before this happened. Um, so really, the only evidence like forensic type evidence they have against him is this bullet, which is still kind of debatable. Interesting. But I was listening to some other attorneys talk about this today and they said that ballistics science doesn't really like hold up in court, especially just like as its own. I don't know how true that is because they were defense attorneys talking about it. But there's also the fact that they didn't photograph it properly and it was buried kind of. It was like under leaves and dirt. So I feel like they could easily be like well, it could it have been there before? We've had a few messages from people who say things like, I can't believe you guys are buying into this. I, don't, I feel like we're not really buying into anything. We've just run through what we have said and also I, like what you said at the start. It just highlights what a mess this investigation is. If any of this is true, you know, the stuff about the guards wearing the Odin patches, about the messed up investigation, it's just I feel like it could absolutely be enough to derail the case. But it is true because like this, they can't lie. The stuff they put in here, they're lawyers. They're not allowed to lie. Sure, they can kind of twist things and make it seem like some things, 
But for a lot of this stuff, they have exhibits and proof and evidence. Like they're not just making this stuff up. And it annoys me when people are like, I can't believe you're buying into it. It's like satanic panic. <laughs> I get that. But also like it's true. Like yeah. the crime scene was the way it was. Sure, could it have been someone framing Odinists? Maybe, but who the fuck has ever heard of Odinists? Honestly, like, and they looked at his phones, his computers and stuff. There's nothing on there connecting him to Odinists. So if Richard Allen was going to do all this by himself, frame the Odinists, wouldn't he have had to like look up these runes and stuff or look up Odinism? Wouldn't he have to know what the fuck Odinism even is? One thing I just want to add in quickly, because I have seen a lot of discussion online and I feel like I should mention it for to make it fair. Court TV did do a sketch of the F on the tree, um, which we've posted, I'm so I think, on Instagram. And you know what? Is it is calling it an F maybe a bit of a but I don't get where did that even maybe? come from? Like where did they get yeah, that information from? Like we obviously haven't seen photos. I would love to see the photos to see if it is really a clear F, but I believe that Court TV somehow has access to whatever and they've done a sketch of this F and it kind of like, yes, maybe a bit of an F, but then also it could just be blood spatter. It's not like someone has got a paintbrush and written an F in blood. It's kind of like this random blood spatter that resembles an F. So, Well, and also um, think about it's probably not easy to write on tree bark in blood either. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I just wanted to add that in because a lot of people are like, if this is what they're arguing is an F, this is a ridiculous argument. And you know what? Maybe it could be like that. But that's just one part. That's what I mean. Like there are things that could be open to interpretation. Um, There's some sort of symbol on the tree in blood. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not an F. Maybe it's meant to be something else. But um, so I did, after we posted all this information, I did do some polls on Instagram and on Patreon to ask people if their kind of thoughts had changed. I feel like before this, a lot of people believed that Richard probably was the perpetrator. So I asked on Instagram, who was responsible for the Delphi murders? 48% said Richard worked with Brad and the others named in the document. 32% said Brad Holder and the other men. So Elvis and the other men, not Richard. 14% said Richard acted alone and 6% said other. And then I asked on Patreon, 51% of those people there believe that Richard worked with Brad. So again, that's kind of similar in the majority believe that. Then the next one, which is a little bit different, is Richard acted alone. And then that was 21%. And then 14% believe Brad Holder did it with the men in the documents. And then I also added in an option because I had didn't have that many options on Instagram, but on Patreon added in an option if they thought Keegan was maybe also in the mix with Richard and Brad and the others and 5% agreed with that. But a ton of people also messaged being like, I don't even know what to think at this yeah. point. And I think that's how a lot of people feel because they did also specifically say there, there's they found no connection between Richard and any of these people. Hmm. I really don't know either. Like, I feel like a lot of this seems super shady. Um, I'm still hesitant because I know this is coming from the defense. And usually I'm very, very wary of things like this, but I feel like this there's a lot of seemingly supporting evidence to back up what the defense is saying, is saying here. My biggest point is, and again, going off of people being like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys are pushing this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> my biggest takeaway from this, because again, I'd heard all the Odinist stuff before, which it still is fucking crazy. And I do think it's plausible. In any other scenario, I'd be like, absolutely not. Because I've always even said, like, I don't believe in conspiracy theory shit for the most part. But here, it seems like it could be. But my biggest takeaway and why I was telling people, like, no, you have to read the documents. Because it just shows they don't have a lot of evidence against Richard Allen. 
The investigation was kind of shoddy. They say there's no DNA linking Richard Allen to the scene, but then in the part where they're talking about, like, how could one person do this alone? They specifically said the killer left no DNA. So I'm pretty sure that they have no DNA. They have no fingerprints. They have really nothing. How could all this happen with no DNA? Even for Lisk, they found the wife's hair. (laughs) Like, If it is true that Elvis did spit on the girls, there should be DNA. You know, obviously yeah. that could just be a made-up story. Maybe he just wants to seem, you know, manly in front of Brad or whatever. But I feel like, you know, if that is true, they should have DNA. And um, maybe, I, I just can't believe that with such a brutal crime, there was no DNA. And maybe they were dunked in the water. Like, I've heard that too, which could destroy some DNA. But no no shoe prints, nothing to and match to any of them. With No phone re- data. Redressing Abby, putting two bras on her she, they put Libby's clothes on her or he or they put Libby's clothes on her. Like that's a lot of messing around with a body to still leave nothing. Nothing. Like fair enough if they just killed them, sliced their throats and ran away, you might have less chance. But to be positioning and staging and adding things to the crime scene, it's just wild that they weren't able to get any DNA. And then hanging around and I'm assuming using your fingers to put in the blood and paint it on the tree and whatever the fuck else. Like mm. it's just crazy. And also my other point of being like, people, you need to read this because, again, it's coming from the defense. But like, this is true. Like, they have their receipts. And sure, the prosecution could be like, oh, we lost it. We just lost track of it, which isn't great either. But it's clear there's some sort of like corruption, cover up, or just a shitty job in general going on here where it's with such a massive case. It's so fucking disappointing to feel like all of this could be for nothing. and. They don't have any more evidence against Richard Allen than the defense pointed out against these guys. Eddie made a false confession. Richard made a false confession, allegedly false confessions. And one other thing that we haven't really touched upon is that there is a ton of photos of Brad Holder out there. He actually has a hat that is almost exactly the same as the hat on the bridge guy. Um, I know, and to be fair, both sides of the story is that apparently in February 2017, he had a massive beard. So the guy on the bridge looks like he didn't have a beard but in terms of body type hat he looks absolutely like the guy on the bridge him and richard allen look like they could be related there's pictures (laughs) of them next to each other yeah they look very similar they're very round vibe yeah same like dumb little goatee situation here and there (laughs) they just look very similar so that's why it's also funny they're like the guy on the bridge didn't look like richard allen but i'm like well brad kind of looks like richard allen too so Mm. oh in the last thing another problem is because they're asking for the franks hearing which is saying that the police lied in order to get the search warrant which for richard's house which is how they got all the computers and all that if that happens and the lying would be how they twisted what the witnesses said about the timeline and the cars and the guy walking and all that if that happens it would basically mean that all the evidence they found couldn't against richard allen couldn't be used at trial Um, I've seen a lot of prosecution lawyers being like, uh, even though this is all very interesting, doubt that they'll get like a Frank's hearing, but still potentially 
an issue. One other thing too. I keep thinking, I say one other thing, one other thing. We I know, it's so much stuff. All day. But so they do have footage of this man on the bridge. The FBI, I believe, said that the man was probably between 5'8 and 5'10. I'm oh, reading yeah. an article now that says, from the Independent, that says the man is between 5'6 and 5'10. So either way, Richard Allen is a lot shorter than that. He's 5'4. I haven't seen anywhere how tall Brad Holt or even any of the other guys are. Um, but that is kind of an interesting discrepancy. My personal thought is that there are definitely multiple people involved. It could be two, it could be more, but I really feel, and even when I say involved, it may have been in terms of someone got the girls to the bridge, like they all played different roles. I don't know if everyone Mm -hmm. was involved in murdering the girls, but I absolutely feel like surely there was more than one person involved. I agree. I don't know what to think. I'm not saying like, I think Richard Allen's innocent. I honestly have no idea, but I just think there's way, 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 way more to the story than is known and that the prosecution is like getting out. But could you even imagine, like I know we've been talking for a long time, but like you said, there's just so much to talk about. (laughs) Could you imagine if Richard Allen really is fucking innocent? Mm. How insane would that be that this guy, he went up to this random police officer outside of CVS that was like, they were just around town asking people for info, willingly gave them this information. Five years go by, you don't hear about it. And all of a sudden, you're arrested for the crime. <laughs> like, mm. imagine being innocent and being arrested for this and being in prison because of this. And even like, it's crazy. <laughs> like in our other episode, we spoke about Ron Logan. You know, I'm just looking at this article by The Independent now, and he lied about where he was on the day that the girls went missing. Like, that's what I mean. There could just be all these other people. He's dead now, so they can't investigate him anymore. But um yeah it's just so it's such a mess there's so many people it's like you couldn't make this up it's crazy but I do think if this went to trial right now as is that a jury would have a hard time finding Richard Allen guilty beyond a reasonable doubt with the information they have right now because all they have really linking him is a bullet and the fact that he was on the bridge that day and someone apparently saw his car but then maybe didn't because it was a totally different car. I don't know. <laughs> Crazy. So I just had a look. There's no new articles kind of since this has all been released. The headlines are things like suspect in Delphi matters blames Odinism, ritual sacrificing deaths, um, but they're all a few days ago now. So I don't know if the, de- the prosecution will, I don't know. I don't know what will happen now. And what does work in the prosecution's favor is that this story even if it it could be true, is so fucking ridiculous. Like the the Vikings, the Odinism, the sacrifice (laughs) is so ridiculous that people are automatically like, what is this, true detective? Absolutely not. Yeah. So they just, like, that just works in their favor to begin with. It's ridiculous. Um, So that is that. It has been an hour and 20 minutes of us talking about this. And I'll think of things in the middle of the night now of being like, ah, I forgot to say that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we will leave you all with that. Let us know what you guys think. If anything else comes out by then, I don't think it will. Some of the attorneys I've heard since talking about this saying that they don't think there'll be like an actual hearing or anything, a result from this probably till like November. I don't know if the prosecution will respond by then. They they will respond, but I don't. it'll probably take them a bit. But if there is an update or anything, I'll add in a clip or something, but there probably won't be. But on that note... We'll have the blog up about this with all the info. We'll have like the PDF so you can read the actual information and all that. We have the screenshots like of a lot of the stuff on Brad's Facebook and the other things that you could see on the blog. 
And if you follow us on True Crime Society on Instagram, we've posted a lot of it there as well. We have a highlight that Olivia is very good at keeping up with, posting all the things in it. So you can go back and look at all the stories we posted on this. All that should be there. If you want to see what we're up to, you can follow me. Mine is StephSum underscore on Instagram. Olivia is TCS Olivia. Check out ours there. If you want ad-free episodes and earlier episodes and our weekly bonus episodes that we've been doing, you check us out on Patreon. It is less than, what, like a dollar a week? So yeah. if you don't want to hear these ads and you want some other extra content, check us out over there. Whatever else, rate, review, subscribe, all those things, please. Big help to us. And that's really it because my throat hurts now. So <laughs> I'm going to go have some when we get drops. off this, there will be some like massive announcement that they Ugh. free Richard Allen or something. <laughs> Imagine. Oh, my God. <sighs> this is just – it could just – it's crazy already and it's just going to get like crazier, I have a feeling. And if you have any questions too about this case, like I feel like this is one of the cases that we actually do – when I say know actually, a lot about. We know we – know, things about other cases as well but we have followed this case from day one so if you do have any questions or you're confused about something just send us a message on instagram and we can try and help yeah not that we don't know a lot about other cases but this case we know like in depth we could write a book knowledge about all the random people so yeah we're we're a good source shockingly (laughs) (laughs) um see you guys next week stay safe thanks for listening all that peace out see ya (laughs) 